0: This is episode number 110 with our guest, Paul Edwards. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. You're tuned right into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. How would you like to gain magnetic influence, build meaningful connections, and create profitable publicity by becoming a radically generous entrepreneur? I want all those things. Well, our guest today knows that it's all possible and knows how to make it possible. Meet Paul Edwards, author of the book, Business Beyond Business. He's also a speaker, a businessman, and a bodybuilder based in Olympia, Washington. All sorts of irony wrapped up in that, I think. A bodybuilder in Olympia. Anyway, help me welcome to the show our guest, Paul Edwards. What's going on, Paul?
1: Thanks for having me, Josh. It's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, I I sometimes joke, just call me Mr. Olympia Washington.
0: Yeah, I, you know. I saw that immediately. I'm yeah. like, oh, a bodybuilder in Olympia. There's something there. Um, well, talk to me about that aspect. I've interviewed people who are authors and speakers, etc. Uh, not too often. Someone who lists themselves deliberately a bodybuilder. Sure, you can lift weights and you know have a good health and exercise regimen like I do. But I'm no bodybuilder. So where's the difference there?
1: Well, I would if I were to to Break it down to one thing, Josh. I would say that a bodybuilder is is concerned more with just more than with just a a good exercise regimen and nutrition. There's also a science to crafting uh, what actually is very much an illusion on stage, Um, and that is to say that you can turn the body at certain angles, and if it is developed and lean and muscular. It will, it will suddenly appear to be much larger, wider, more disproportionate in relation to other parts of the body than it did a few seconds before. Um, and the way you go about that is very different from a conventional routine, say, of just going, of, of going and lifting weights then doing some cardio. The way you do it in the school as I've been trained is to attack all the muscles from different angles when you train them. Uh, and to become very, very good and very, very present on stage when you do your posing routine.
0: So you compete? I do. Wow. Um, wh- where Where do you find a connection between your life as a businessman and entrepreneur and bodybuilding? Certainly, there's got to be overlap, yeah?
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. In fact, not so long ago, I had... Uh, a great coach of mine, Vince Del Monte, on my podcast, and I asked him a similar question. I said, "You know, what's what's one of the things you notice about the competitive advantage of just fitness in general, but specifically, I, I saw the parallel from bodybuilding." And he said, "Well, um, when you reach your absolute furthest you can go lifting a weight, whether it's the heaviest you can do or the most reps you can do, what do we call that?" And I said, "It's a plateau." And then he said, now, if I, if I can get beyond that, even if it's just by five pounds, mm. what have I done? He said, I've, I've, I've broken through the plateau. And he said, business is the same way. If you're going to get to a certain point in your business and then rest on your laurels and think I'm, I'm set, I don't need to do anything from here, it's on autopilot, pretty soon the law of entropy is going to kick in and that business is going to begin to fail. If on the other hand, if you reach that point and you say, okay, now it's time to try and go.'" Even if it's only one or two steps further, uh, that's where the breakthrough is.
0: I, I read um, a few months ago the David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me, extraordinary <clears> book. <throat> and he talks about something very similar where so often, whether it's physical or in business, we are not using you know, much of our complete capacity, so much so that there's, you could always go 30% more if you just you know apply yourself and push for it but we we always we always sort of give in to that first resistance
1: correct yeah it's um, the, the, the path of least resistance is the natural default me- uh, mechanism that under which most human beings operate and in a, in a parallel vein I was having the same discussion recently with uh, somebody probably 30 or 40 years down the road uh, from me in terms of age. Uh, And we both agreed that uh, the, the traditional concept of retirement is the last place either of us wanted to end up. And the reason for that is when you stop contributing and you stop being part of the, you stop growing and you stop progressing, all you can do from that point is recede and downgrade and, follow the law of entropy. And neither, both of us were entrepreneurial types who just thought that's not in our vocabulary.
0: Mm. Well, I think this ties right into your phrase, uh, where you talk about becoming a radically generous entrepreneur. Talk to me about that.
1: Well, I think the first thing when when a lot of people hear that, um, I think the first thing they think is money. Mm. And The nice thing about the principles I've outlined in my book is not one of them will cost you very much at all. Some of them are entirely free. Some of them require only other forms of generosity. And, And a lot of people, you know, startup entrepreneurs, for example, would be intimidated by the whole concept of being radically generous if all it meant was you write big checks to nonprofit organizations. And that's not what we're talking about. So I wanted to, I would start off defining it that way, but I'd go on to say, <clears throat> um, there's a ton of different ways you can do this. What I have done for the purposes of a lot of uh, interviews I've given about the book is illustrate three very recognizable examples from real life celebrities and one movie um, that show exactly how this is done in a myriad of different ways that most of them having very little to do with money. Um, but I will say that um, if you if you look in my book, um, there are there's there's about six of them, uh, and they all have to do with going against the traditional, stereotypical, almost cliche way of being in business. Um and we can go into that, but I I'm I'll stop myself from rambling too long and ask have I answered that question, or was there something deeper you were looking for?
0: Well, let's go into that. Give an example or two.
1: Well, the first one, I've I've had this for a long time, and I I just say be a magnet, not a pusher. Um, and this is you and I were talking earlier about uh the monastic element of what I want to talk about. And by monastic, I don't mean, you know going to a monastery and, and retiring from public life and being a monk. But monks uh, gain a lot of wisdom by doing that, that you can apply even if you're out there as a business person. Uh, and one of the things that they learn is to simply learn to, to sit still and be patient um, and, and allow the natural rhythms of the world to operate as they do and not try to enforce their will upon it. And what I found, I would go to networking groups early on when I was in the insurance business, and I would be a pushy salesperson. If you've seen the movie Groundhog Day, you've seen the caricature, Ned Ryerson, right? <laughs> do yeah. you have life insurance, yeah. Phil? Because if you do, you could always use a little more, huh?
0: Am I right or am I right or am
1: I right? Right, 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 you know. And that wasn't too far. I didn't go that cheesy, but that wasn't too far from the kind of conversations I would have.
0: I think we've all gone that cheesy, by the way, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, right? If
1: we're going to be honest. Yeah. I mean, there were some times I, you know, I, I, I I even, I knew, I knew in the minute I was doing it that it was shallow, but I didn't know what else to say. Nobody tells you what to say. So you you just
0: do the best that you think you are doing in that moment. That's it. Try
1: your best, you yeah. know. I was self-reflective enough, though, to walk away from that and say to myself, okay, that definitely did not work. So we're not doing that anymore. Whatever else we're doing, we're not doing that, right? Mm. And that was the start of it because then I began to say, okay, well, if I can't say that, if I can't be pushy and say, who handles your insurance, you know, uh, then what do I say to people? And this took me back to my faith, which is always, you know, Curious about the motives and the depths and complexities of the human character. And what I began to see was in every group I was in, I, it was filled with people who were business people, entrepreneurs, or salespeople and marketers. And all of those people had something in common. They all had to worry about how do I increase my marketing, increase my visibility, increase my prospects, and increase my sales. And because I was already in the same boat as them, every time I discovered something new that helped me to do that, I said, why am I going to keep that to myself? I can multiply my conversations and prospects and sales by sharing it with all these other people who are also looking to multiply theirs. So instead of going to networking groups asking for handouts, asking for the opportunity to quote insurance for the people in them, I would go and share my knowledge. And the beautiful thing about sharing knowledge, as you know, is that it can be listened to by hundreds, thousands, millions of people at a time if you deliver it well and, and, you know, do a good job of explaining it. So that was where my whole focus began to change. And I started doing seminars and I started getting up and doing public speaking and going into leadership positions where I got the opportunity to be up in front of people all the time and multiply my impressions
0: that way. So you, give me an example of what kind of knowledge you brought in that scenario, put it into perspective for us. So instead of saying, who does your insurance to try to get them as a new prospect or client, you would just tell them what's worked for you last week as an insurance person?
1: I would do that um, if, I was, if I was given the opportunity to do like we had, you know, each time right. you have a certain presenter and all that. But no, most of the time, actually, uh, the other part of this was um, being inquisitive about the other person, right? So I would walk into a room and I, would, I, I always had, you know, certain questions I would ask people. And I would say things like, you know, what's, what's working well for you lately? How's, how's business going? And they would tell me. And I'd say, okay, well, what's, what's not going well? You know, where, where's the pain? And as they began to tell me that stuff, I found that I was pretty good at, at clicking file save in my brain and just storing that, you know. I didn't even have to write it down because I would see these people every week. Mm. So after a while, I would walk into a room and I would do a quick scan of who's around, and I would see person A over there. Last week, they told me they were having a problem with this issue. And then in walks person B over here, and I know that they can they can fix that issue. And so I'd go grab the one and bring them over to the other and make the introduction and let the magic happen from there. Mm. And this is just another way that you begin to distance yourself from if you're in the insurance business, there's, gonna, there's always going to be at least 500 other people who do what you do, right? So that's the way you totally separate yourself from them, and you move out into that that blue ocean strategy like they talk about in the book.
0: I love that. You also talk about transitioning into the stage of significance. What does it mean to be significant? How do we know if we are, and how do we get there?
1: I love this, um, this, this talk. Uh, it is... <laughs> it's still something I'm somewhat defining for myself, but I know this because I see it in my own life day to day. When you begin to have people, particularly younger generations, seeking you out and asking you to share with, with them what you know, and you share it and they don't, you know, disappear and never want to talk to you again. Right. In fact, you ask them at the end, did I do a good job of explaining that? How did, you know, did I make sense there? And they say to you, keep talking, keep talking. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm soaking this up. You're beginning to, you're, you're now, now you're starting to lay down words and phrases and sayings and meanings and interpretations for those people's grandchildren. You know, just like we get all this stuff passed down to us through the ancient literature and the, 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 immediate generations preceding us, the World War II and the baby boomer generation. It's same thing. You're starting to lay that down, and you can see it laying down. You know, you can see it catching fire in people's hearts and in their eyes. It's very exciting.
0: Hmm. It's a very interesting way to uh, look at it. it. Well, first of all, it's true, but also it's we don't always take – we don't always give ourselves credit for the, the impact and the insight that we're dispelling to and for other people. But we are, and it has effects that often we don't see but exist.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Very rarely will you actually get an out loud round of applause. Um, but you, you do get them i found, especially since I started doing what I talk about in my book as a, as a matter of routine, as a, as a, as a lifestyle, um, I just, I see it over and over again. People shout me out on Facebook. Um, they tell other people, you know, the, my, one of my expressions was, this is how you recruit your own unpaid sales force. Because I would be sitting there in my office working on something, you know, working on raising funds for a nonprofit board I was on and my phone would ring. And I pick it up and I say, hey, so-and-so told me I need to get an insurance quote from you. I didn't spend a dollar on advertising. I hadn't left the office the entire day. I wasn't out there begging. I wasn't nothing. I was just sitting there working on raising funds for a nonprofit. The phone rings, you know. And this would happen so frequently that I was like, oh, there's something to this.
0: What is something to this? What was the investment that led up to that, though? What, What were you doing to plant those seeds prior that that was the outcome?
1: Well, so there was, um, w- what happened was uh, my, my first year in the insurance business, I was in a, in, a, in a job where I was dialing for dollars. So I was mm-hmm. 95% in the office, right? And we were, it was internet leads. It was, it was, it was good business, but it was it was grueling and demanding and I never got out. Then I got recommended to join a different company. So I did. And their philosophy was, we don't want you in the office. The only reason you should be here is if you're closing business, binding it, sending, you know, making money for the company. Other than that, we call you field agent for a reason. You should be mm-hmm. out in the field. Now, I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I, I, I knew enough to know, okay, well, I guess, I, I guess if I'm sitting around this office, I'm wrong. So I started just Googling networking groups, rotary, you know, any kind of civic club I could think of uh, any kind of opportunity to go out and meet people. And I started doing it and I, I started doing it so regularly and so fiercely and so consistently that the, the rest of the people in my office said it w- it was a surprise actually to find me in the office. Um, I was far and away the 80% out of the office guy, you know, I they we had the joke the set, the front desk lady I'd walk by and I'd just call out meeting and she knew that I was I was going out and I wouldn't be back for a while. And I went to trade shows, community events, I set up tables, I met people, I shook hands, I offered out prizes, I went to networking groups, I connected people, I talked to people. I just had, you know, it's just the law of 10,000 hours. It just builds up over time. And so by the time I'm doing this where I'm talking about I'm just sitting in my office, you know, raising funds. By that time, I don't even, yeah. I don't even have to think about it anymore. It There's just, a it just rings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about your book, business beyond business. Cause I know that it's had a few iterations that you, you had released it and then you sort of did some necessary work and then re-released it. Tell me about this journey of the book where it started in a local market, and then the transition to a more broader market?
1: This has been a, a fascinating journey for me. I, uh, I decided to write this book as I exited the insurance business. And you want to hear the, the funny part is um, the last six months of that I was in the business, I continued getting referrals. My phone rang every day um, or nearly every day. And, but, but all of a sudden for the last six months, I couldn't close any business. I could not get a single deal done. Nothing. I just, every deal went, got torpedoed, fell apart, you know, underwriting blocked it, whatever. And I couldn't, I couldn't move money to save my life. And I took it as a sign, um, that, that, that things were changing for me. I, I, I had lost the same kind of fervor that I'd been pursuing it with. So I say that to say that when I, as this happened, I decided, well, you know, this, this, is, this is my chance to really go and, and do what, what has always motivated and stirred and driven me as an entrepreneur or just as a person, which is being on stage, influencing people, being on TV, being in radio, talking, you know, teaching, sharing my knowledge and all that. So I wrote this first version of the book and it was called 10 secrets to networking success. Um, I self-published it. It was done on a budget and I brought it out. And the first place I tested it on was my local marketplace and a ton of them bought copies and showed up to my first book launch, which was last September, 2018. And, uh, so I took that when I did the show, I, I did an offer at the end, um, you know, to see if I would get any takers on a more enhanced package of benefits that went along with the book. And I got six people to buy it, which out of 60 was a, I thought was a pretty good sign. Okay. I'm going to 10%. That's not bad for the first time I've ever done it. Well, immediately after that, I started trying to market it online to my greater social media audience. Um, I couldn't really afford to do paid advertising on a consistent basis. So I didn't pursue that. Um, but even with my social media audience, all the friends and all the followers and all the people I had on Instagram, Facebook, what have you, crickets, just nothing. Nobody was interested and you know, you could take a, a somebody with a lot better social media marketing skills, look at that and maybe craft some posts that would be more attention getting. I don't know. I was doing the best I could at the time with, with the tools I had. But I said to myself, no, if the market's not responding at all, I mean, if there's if there's a zero response, and I mean literal zero, goose eggs, then maybe there's just not enough meat on the bones. Maybe this isn't telling people um, anything that they are really interested in.
0: Before we go further, because this is a fascinating um, side-by-side analysis here, what, why, why was it more of a success locally then? What, what, what's that differentiator?
1: I, you know, I'm going to say, this is the words of a close friend of mine. And, and as the Bible says, faithful are the words or the wounds of a friend. Um, he said, if you're going to be radically honest with yourself, you have to ask the question, how many people bought that book because they know you and they like you and they trust you? And, and then ask yourself, how many people who hate my guts bought my book? And of course, I knew the answer to that question already. Nobody who hates my guts bought the book, right? So that was a good challenge. And I took it as a challenge. I said, um, it, it, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be people who hate me. The, the proof to me has been in the success of the second version, where it's been bought in countries all over the world by people I don't even know who they are. Right, so it's it's not so much that it has to be people who hate you buying your book, but it does have to be at least people who don't know who you are, uh, and or the, and on any other day wouldn't you know wouldn't know you from Adam.
0: So, what changes did you did did you make?
1: Well, the book business is an interesting animal these days. Um, so, I'll 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 try and make it short, but I'll basically say that um, the the competition for attention is so super fierce right now. You know this, right? Anybody trying to get attention, especially on social media with millions and millions of videos and posts and tweets and blogs and all this kind of stuff, boy, it's, you know, it, it'll make you long, wish for the old days with just three broadcast networks and, and uh, you, know, you know somebody. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I decided, first of all, I'm gonna go back and put a lot more meat on the bones for this book. Secondly, I'm not doing it on a shoestring. I'm going to make an investment with a company that can give me a robust and meaningful and expert critique hmm. on what I put out there. They big lesson
0: me. there, by the way, big lesson there. Not going to do it on mm-hmm. a budget. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, and the, and the, and you know, so, so tell me, I, I said to my coach and to my, uh, to my editors, I said, tell me, if you saw this book title, if you saw this, the the subline. If you opened it up and read some of the chapter titles. If you looked on the back at at you know the summary and all that. Um, tell me, you know, do you think I've I've wasted a bunch of energy, time, and and money here? Should I should I not have done this at all? And and don't lie to me. Don't no matter how uncomfortable you might feel. Tell me if you think this book has no potential whatsoever. And I I can take it because I've already been told that once by the marketplace anyway, right? (laughs) When I took my, my book to the marketplace at large and I didn't have anybody who knew me or liked me, the response is very different. So and they said to me, No, no, this this has potential. This has potential. They said, be advised, you are not gonna be attracting the entire world to you. And I said, I don't want that anyway. I'm I'm one man, right? That's why I've written to the radically generous entrepreneur, because those people are in the minority. In fact, they may be a minority of a minority. Um, and, and, and I don't really need that many of them to have a successful business. Uh, but what I do need is a compelling enough offer in my book that would cause somebody to say, "Yeah, I'll take a look at that. Let me read some more about that. And then to, to read what's written in the pages and say, that's me. And from the way I write it and the and the 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 offer that comes behind it to say, I need to be a part of this, or I should look into, at least I should look into being a part of this. Hmm. Um, so anyway, did, yeah. have I answered that question there? I, Absolutely. I ramble a little bit sometimes.
0: <laughs> no, all good. Uh, I wanna go back to learn more about you as the person. Take us back, if you will, to the very beginning Paint this picture for us. What was life like growing up for Paul Edwards as a young child?
1: Well, geez, I've got volumes. Um, I was born in, uh, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, so I'm an immigrant to the United States. Uh, we came, it's funny, funny, I was born in 1980, which is the year Wayne Gretzky started his career in Edmonton. And in 1988 the year he left, he left in August of 88 to come to Los Angeles and we left Edmonton to move to Los Angeles in December of 1988. Just pure parallel timing. We weren't part of his entourage or anything like that. Um, But my dad got an H1 visa and we came in and uh, established ourselves in in Southern California. And uh, all throughout this time of growing up in a combination of Alberta and then California, I was taken with um, music, performance, stand up comedy routines, acting, TV, movies, story, right? And so the very first time I ever did something was I was probably about eight or nine years old. My father had noticed how I would sit and listen to the back in the days of long playing records. Uh, they had a couple of bill cosby's stand-up albums and they also had some by the irish comedian hal roach and my father had noticed how i could not only recite all the jokes word for word but i could even do them with the irish accent so he told me to get up and entertain an entire room full of of our friends other families including some of my best friends who were sitting cross-legged on the floor in front of me with this entire irish comedy routine and i had the whole room roaring with laughter for a couple hours and i never i've never forgotten it i mean it's it's one of those memories you just can't you're like you know i had a whole room laughing at 8 9 years old so um so then you go you carry that forward right all throughout um junior high high school i'm very drawn towards entertainment in one way shape or another in high school i did all three levels of drama, stagecrafts, concert choir, TV production, and when I came out of high school, um, I wanted to go and and do some kind of performing arts, even if it wasn't paid. Um, then a couple of years passed, and I joined the military. And in basic training, they said we they, they the drill sergeants screamed down the hall. We need someone to narrate the uh, graduation ceremony unanimous edwards <laughs> you know <laughs> so i got picked as the narrator that repeated in advanced individual training and then i go on and i serve in the in the army uh did two deployments in to iraq um oh. in 2005 and then in 2007 and 2008 for the surge and um after that was just right after they passed the post 9 11 gi bill so when i finished that time I got to go to Pacific Lutheran University here in Tacoma, um, fully paid for almost like being on a scholarship, the post 9-11 GI Bill. And um, and I got a degree in communications. And so, um, and of course, throughout all this time, I've, lest I forget, I, you know, 2005 in Germany, got married to my wife. Um, she's not German, but she was over there serving as an American civilian contractor. And we met going to church together. Um, so we came back to Joint Base Lewis McCord, which is up here near Tacoma, and settled in Olympia. And then, um, as I graduated, when I entered college, my oldest son was born. And as I left college, my youngest son was born. And that was where I was hoping to go into radio. Everybody's telling me what a, oh, you have this tremendous radio voice, you know. So I tried, and it didn't work out. Um, it, it turns very, out you
0: need more than a good voice, you're saying.
1: It, it turns out you need more than a good voice. That is exactly uh, you need. You need a, a pretty good business acumen and you need to be able to
0: yeah.
1: take your lumps that I felt I couldn't take at the time.
0: Hmm.
1: So um, fast forward a, couple, a year or two, I the bottom of the recession, couldn't find a job. And I decided to take a job in the insurance business because... Hmm. I had the opportunity to work for some very high performing people in the industry. And I said, well, if I'm going to learn how to sell, then I'm going to learn how to sell to, from somebody who sells a lot, you
0: know? Hmm. I want to go back so for that- a minute, uh, to the, uh, before we get too far from your, um, your comedy days, cause I was at 14 in eighth grade. I was bit by the acting bug because I was cast, in a school play, as the comic relief that got all the laughs, and that mm. really fed a need that I felt was lacking in my life. I felt like, wow, people are finally paying attention to me, and uh, that that fueled almost like a drug. Did you find a, a similar thing happening? Oh,
1: absolutely, yeah, yeah. In well, um, what were you inter- being fed? Intermediate- yeah. Well, exactly the same thing in in my intermediate drama class which was my sophomore year um, I played a class clown uh, in the play that we did and right at the end of the play you know the denouement everything's we're, we're getting the just the last few minutes of it I had the laugh line of the night and I delivered it perfectly and that that we actually had an adult playing the, the teacher who was in the play, and he responded to it perfectly. The whole audience roared with laughter, and I just couldn't have been more excited to come out and take the bow. A few minutes later, when it was all over, and uh, and of course, you know, I got in in the play storyline. I ended up getting the girl from the jock, right. The girl playing the jock was also the girl that I really had a, a super high crush on in real life. So I got to take a bow holding her hand. And imagine that. that which, yeah, you know,
0: yeah. Yeah, you can yeah. you can
1: imagine what that does for uh, the soul of a of an awkward adolescent. Right. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, and yeah. and I've had other, you know, there's there's other stories like that, but that that's what that brought to mind.
0: Wow. My, uh, the, the brand, The Hidden Entrepreneur, founded on the premise that I spent a lifetime hiding behind fear, using that as an excuse. Can you share a time where you were hiding behind fear, but you couldn't let it stop you?
1: That's pretty much my journey up until age 37, um, in one way, shape or another. There, uh, there was so much anxiety uh, mm. flowing from an, an inner emptiness. There was so much feeling like I should be contributing, but I can't either because I perceive that I'm blocked or because of limitations I've set on myself. Um, <sighs> In the, one of the things that I've wrestled with since I made the decision, well, I didn't make the decision. I got fired from my last job for not selling anything in the last six months, but I, I didn't, I wasn't crying over it. I went home the same day and hired myself and I made the decision, I'm going to pursue this until I literally have to do something that is just totally outrageously, Dumb, stupid, and inappropriate, um, unbecoming an adult. Basically, uh, in order to keep it going. In other words, I'm gonna, I'm gonna explore this as far as God will allow me to, you know. And I'm not gonna give up just because of fear. I'm not gonna give up just because I'm not earning a living right away, and and everything's fine, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust God to pay my bills and i'm going to i'm going to pursue this i'm going to i'm going to see is there really something to this or is there not right do i really have is there really value from all of this experience and all of these things i've been through and all the places i've traveled and the cultures i've learned about and the cultures that influenced me it, does the marketplace really want to hear about this or do they not you know and so i have wrestled and we're talking, you know, some people tend to think that this is, I'm talking about hindsight from, you know, two years in the past. I'm talking about this week, in case anybody's wondering, right? I'm talking about, I get an, an assault on my identity this week. Um, from a, just from a, a, a totally harmless, benevolent conversation that didn't go the way I thought it would go. And I'm left wondering, what, how am I to interpret this? Um, and and the journey, all of these little lessons I've learned along the journey, keep reinforcing that no matter how 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 uh, how much I might feel like an imposter in the moment, how much I might feel like I should just hide and turn away and go get some, you know, Joe job or something like that, um, that I have to keep pushing forward. I have to keep letting out that part of me that's real. I have to keep sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, or else I'm no good, or else I truly am no good to my fellow human beings.
0: You believe everything happens for a reason?
1: Yes, yes.
0: You've seen that in your life?
1: Yes. What I, I was just listening to a podcast this morning. You can have uh, interpretation, or you can have God, but you can't necessarily have both. And And all that means is, right? In in the moment that I'm struggling and feeling like I should turn away and and hide, is the time that I need to say, okay, and then I choose God in this moment, and I don't I don't need to have the answers, because the reason there was a quote from Blaise Pascal, he said, mankind is 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 only part of the equation. Uh, one man is only part of the equation. Therefore, how can he understand the whole? You know, and so same principle, right? I, this, this situation, this assault on my identity, this, this, this fear that I'm feeling, I'm only part of the puzzle. There's no way I can look at the entire tapestry of, of all of the events and all of the various connections I have with people and understand the value of what I am giving to them, or even understand the destructiveness that I would, that I would Put in its place if I chose to start hiding again.
0: What are we here to do?
1: Well, you're asking a, a a a very devout believer in the Word of God about this. So my belief, primarily, before anything else, the purpose of any man or woman that has ever walked this earth is to have union with God. Union, and by union I mean total honest open transparent loving gracious and and from our end worshiping relationship to god that is that is the before anything else that comes along before your calling before your ministry before your uh, your family before anything like that the number one thing that is always being assaulted when you're tempted to feel alone shame, guilt, sorrow, like you've got to hide. The, the, what, 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 is not, what is opposed there is union with God. What the enemy doesn't want is union with God. Um, now, some people listening may find that a little bit bizarre, strange, that sounds kind of religious. It is, I, <laughs> but it's who I am.
0: So I, You, know, you are religious, I, I get it. But couldn't yeah. we also navigate that word to satisfy our own personal beliefs and still come up with the same outcome?
1: I find very often that the principle holds true whether you believe it or not. I find very often, this is why I don't limit uh, who comes into my coaching and mastermind programs to only Bible-believing Christians. Because I've met many people who are not Bible-believing Christians who still apply the principles, and it
0: works. That's what I'm saying.
1: And that, yeah, so yes, we're, yeah. We're, we're, we're agreed in that sense. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I believe, I believe you can follow the principles that are laid down in the scriptures mm-hmm. without really knowing that you're following the principles in the scriptures and have a great result because I've done it myself long before I was a believer. I followed scriptural principles and they worked.
0: Hmm. I will leave you with this final question. Paul Edwards, how would you like to be remembered?
1: Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. How would I like to be remembered? Well, I'll, I'll answer it this way. Um, again, falling on my faith, uh, I believe God gives us names and these names can be phrases. They don't necessarily have to be our first name, surname, given name, Christian name, whatever you call it. Uh, and the one that is the most precious to me is this name, a father after God's own heart. And so when I first heard this, I thought, he was mainly talking about my relationship to my sons and that's included in it. But I've also seen it begin to involve a lot of younger people in the church that I go to. So I go and I befriend some of these young adults aged 18 to 29. And they are looking at me as a, an older source of wisdom and kindness. Um, And I see it in my business too. I see people love to help, love to bring a problem to me and have me talk them through it and ask them questions that they haven't thought of. And because of the whole monastic influence, like I told you about, I'm able to sit there and listen and not say anything or say very little and, and very often help people work their way out of a problem or at least get the kind of clarity they need to begin working their way out of a problem. And so, very good question, Josh. I think I would like to be remembered that way as somebody who had the heart of God the Father in how he dealt with everybody who was in his life.
0: Magnificent answer. I appreciate that. I appreciate you, and I appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you, Paul, for opening up and coming on the show today. Really cool to have this dialogue with you.
1: Josh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, and we'll look forward to having you on Influence. So, networking secrets.
0: I am looking forward to that as well. Thank you again for everybody tuning in, whether it's to the live broadcast here or to the podcast in its native form on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, wherever you choose to download and listen to the show. Thank you. Leave a review. I love reading all your comments and what you have to say. We're going to say a few things again on an upcoming episode. We will see you then. Thanks for tuning in and spending your time. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear
1: your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time.